Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Light Reading Podcast. My name is Phil Harvey. I'm an editor here at Light Reading. I'm Kelsey Zeiser. I'm also an editor at Light Reading. And I'm Fernando Montenegro, an analyst with uh, Omnia. Fernando, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's uh, great to uh, to speak with you. As um, for the you now, you've been on the podcast before in the past, but but it's been a while. So for those who don't uh, know your work, uh, what uh, what is your uh, coverage uh, area at Omdia? Sure, uh, just by, by by proper introduction. So Fernando Montenegro, I'm a senior principal analyst with on the Omdia cybersecurity research team. We are a team of uh, eleven analysts spread across different areas. I lead what's called our Infrastructure Security Intelligence Service. And within that service, this means I cover a relatively wide spectrum of, of areas, including network security, content security, cloud security, endpoint, application, and uh, DDoS prevention. So relatively broad, and we, and we do stuff both quantitative and qualitative in terms of research. Excellent. And uh, yeah, and so it, it, you were just, uh, we were just talking before we, we hit record about traveling and you've just uh, gotten back from uh, from RSA in San Francisco, um, one of the larger, uh, you know, gatherings of security professionals in the, uh, in the, in the United States, especially, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think, let's see, is that one, it's Black Hat, and those are pretty much the big the, the two really big ones. Um, but uh, yeah, so how was um, RSA and what, what uh, you know, did you find it to be uh, productive and what was what, what were kind of some of the emerging themes uh, that, that folks were kind of eager to talk about there? Absolutely. So I'll, I'll just comment that just before Black Hat, before RSA, I was over in Europe at the KubeCon, Cloud Native Con, which is a cloud native technology conference that also has a strong security component. And it Excellent. was really interesting to compare and contrast the two. So yes, I was at uh, at RSA. I've lost count how many RSAs I've attended in the past. It is one of my favorite events of the year for a number of reasons. I first of all, we get to interact with uh, friends uh, near and far, people I've worked with in the past, and and reach out to people we, uh, to, to clients of ours and, and vendors. It is a phenomenal event. It's also, I also like the conference very much because it has a little bit of something for everyone. Like if you're early in your career, you can go and uh, walk the floor and, and be surprised by how many vendors there are. You can also attend dozens, I mean, sometimes simultaneously you have 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 options of, of talks to attend to. When you are later in your career, you start either presenting at RSA, or you start being a little more selective about which talks you attend. And uh, so it is a, a really interesting event for uh, for those of us in cybersecurity. To answer your question, it is uh, one of the primary events in the industry, Black Hat USA being the others. We also have Black Hat running next week, actually, I believe, in, uh, right. in Asia and Europe. So it is uh, definitely we're seeing that uh, events are back. I don't have uh, uh, in front of me the official numbers, but it was well north of uh, forty thousand people. So it was relative. Uh, it felt like previous years. 
right? It was uh, everything was packed. Uh, number of vendors. We like to do vendor analysis at the like analyze the the the, the who shows up and whatnot. And the numbers are still a little bit short of what they were in the past, but it was you would you wouldn't be able to tell it just from from walking the floor, right? Yeah. Very interesting. Very active. Uh, indeed, the phenomenal event. In terms of trends, um, I'll make a side joke here that I'm originally Brazilian, right? And so I speak I speak Portuguese natively. And one of the things that um, that in Portuguese the the translation for "ouch," right, like "ouch" when you get hurt, it's mm -hmm. "i," right, which is spelled "a i," right. So I <laughs> wanted to see if I could get a, a report out, which would be I, 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 right? AI, 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 because that's been, that, that's, that's been the, the, the theme for the entire conference. It's, uh, it, we kind of expected it. And the moment that we saw large language models popularized with the, with the chat GPT interface back in, what was it? November. So it, it wasn't completely, it, it wasn't unexpected at all, but it was really interesting to see how widespread it was not so much in terms of um, not so much in terms of of uh, on the floor type of messaging like the, the visuals but absolutely dominating conversations there is a um, a really interesting angle to all this is that you can almost measure <coughs> sorry you can almost measure how vendors are on the spectrum of understanding ai with how they are positioning where AI is going to fit into their products. And one of the things that um, that has emerged very clearly is that the more sophisticated vendors, I'm talking here, the, the, the Microsoft and Googles of the world, what mm -hmm. they are doing is that they are taking large language models of their own, and they are complementing that with a more familiar interface. So it's more than just, uh, and for that more familiar interface, then they are using something like the OpenAI GPT 3.5, GPT 4, etc. So it becomes a, uh, a, dare I say, a democratization of the information that's that's locked inside those large language models into a into a broader population. I, I've I've had phenomenal conversations on the topic all week. I. Consider myself a little bit, I don't want to say I, I'm not skeptical, a little bit skeptical about the overall application. I think that we are very much in an infatuation phase with, uh, with AI and large language models, but there is definitely something there and we'll definitely see it being applied in, uh, in other environments. Mm -hmm. That was one. And so definitely uh, tons of, of stuff on, on AI. From my particular coverage, like I look a lot at network and content security, so SASE, Secure Access Service Edge, was very prevalent as well. Usually around um, vendors continuing to expand on their offerings. And when we look at SASE, we always look at what are the different use cases that we are going to see in terms of how does it, how does an organization get to SASE? And... Um, kind of crystallizing around the three major use cases. One is we're doing a VPN modernization slash replacement. One, we're doing a web proxy uh, replacement modernization. And the other is we're doing a large branch modernization effort. We're trying to simplify the branch kind of thing. And mm -hmm. that 
that goes to SD-WAN, and then from there you go to a broader SASE solution. So those are the three major conversations, major three use cases I had about the SASE. Mm -hmm. so, but the list goes on. I mean, I cover cloud security as well, alongside my colleague, uh, Ketki Borade. And uh, she and I have kind of, we tried to split the coverage at RSA. There, eight, uh, there were, by my count, 600 sponsors, right? A little over. And um, definitely seeing interesting areas around uh, the convergence I should put it best, uh, the convergence of cloud security and application security. And this is driven primarily by the fact that a best practice in cloud deployment is to use infrastructure as code as a, as a general pattern, right? You don't, you try to minimize going to the console of the provider. And right. the moment that you have it as infrastructure as code, well, that's just code. And then that ties into, okay, how does that infrastructure as code go into the pipeline, the CI/CD pipeline, and, and and how do you measure drift and so on. So very interesting. I mean, I have a, we, we can talk about a lot of things for RSA. I have more things, but I want to give you, a, <laughs> I want to give you a, a, a chance. As we were talking before, uh, I can talk about this for hours. I'll let, I'll let Kelsey uh, drill down uh, into what, what she wants to, to pick apart first. Yeah, I feel like we're sharing like small plates of security samples <laughs> here. <laughs> so I will pick the sassy plate. Um, <laughs> were there any, uh, you know, vendors or service providers that kind of stood out to you in, in terms of what they're working on with sassy? I mean, it, it seems like there's still a lot of um, vendors that say they're doing it, but maybe it's like components of it or they're doing SSE. Um, what, yeah. what were some of your big takeaways there? So at the, uh, within our, like our, our opinion from, from a research perspective is that most, most clients will, uh, even if they're not doing it right away, they should really focus on SASE as opposed to SSE. And the analogy I use here is that if you have, if you're building, it's almost as if, imagine that you're building a five-star, uh, three, three Michelin-star type restaurant and you're putting it into an in in uh, but you don't have accessible roads to it, right? That's right. the the that's the the image that comes to mind in the context that if you're moving your security controls to the cloud in the, in in the form of SASE, but you are not really guaranteeing, or if you're not really paying very careful attention to the, the digital experience management. Right, of between the, the end user who may be sitting uh, remotely or who may be sitting at the branch or maybe sitting at the at the larger office. And there is variance between uh, on that user experience up to getting to the cloud security, to, to the cloud-based uh, security controls, then um, you're not going to have a very good day as a, um, as a CISO or, or, or as a security team. So with that in mind, we, we tend to favor that, hey, listen, Think about SASE as the objective, or it's SSE. I mean, it's, it's very easy to um, to talk about it. As it's, it's easier to, to get it implemented. It's just the security part, not the networking. But we encourage people to think about the broader picture. In terms of specific vendors, it's just some of the conversations. I continue having conversations with the, uh, with the, the Netscopes and, uh, and Zscalers and, and Palo Alto and Fortinet and, and, and others, right? So we continue to see, and each one of these vendors seems to have a slightly different approach to um, to how they are favoring. Some of them are favoring more the SSE use case. 
some of them are favoring more uh, an SD-WAN optimization, and um, some of them are favoring the, the user-centric view of how do you provide secure user access to internet resources and so on. So uh, a little bit all over the place. I'm nothing major to talk about. I did have a nice conversation with uh, Axis, who was just acquired by uh, by HPE, right, Aruba. So I, I'll be interested in see what they are going to be doing next as well. So yes, uh, very very uh, interesting topic for sure. Cool, uh, Kelsey. Do you have a follow up on that? I have another. Oh, I just like that we're sticking with um, some food analogies, like the, <laughs> the road to the Michelin star restaurant. So, Phil, I guess it's on you. Do you have a food? Oh no, I don't have anything to follow up except I am. Uh, well, I guess I guess uh, uh, it is interesting that, um, or, or I guess I'm curious mostly where where folks are seeing. And I know it varies by type of company, like you said, but where folks are seeing the the first uh, most applicable uses of generative AI in cybersecurity. Like where well, where where, the, where that might show up uh, immediately. Well, I, this is where I think that the use cases conversation is super interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm like I said, I'm 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 not completely skeptical, but I, I want us to to tread carefully because one of the features, one of the characteristics of large language models, which are the basis for generative AI, is that they are excellent at providing coherent information, coherent output that is not necessarily accurate, right? So it, it, uh, it's it been, and, and there's numerous cases you can go online and search about how it, it makes up, in some cases, uh, information or resources and so on. I believe people refer to this as hallucinations. So right. in my mind, I would be hesitant to use generative AI in a in a use case where you need very clear precision, mm-hmm. so with what that translates to, so it, it, as an example, is I would be absolutely comfortable asking generative AI to help me understand, help me as an as a security analyst, help me understand what I'm seeing here, but I wouldn't be comfortable saying, okay, you take over this particular workflow within my within my security operation right there is still a level of um, there is a level of, of uh, as I said hallucination that makes me a little bit uncomfortable just passing it off to to generative AI but hundred so, percent on in terms of uh, using it to explain something or or give me context for something knowing that it can be, it, it it's not going to necessarily be 100% accurate. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Cause I, cause I think that's where I, th- I think a lot of people are expecting that this is going to join up at some point with machine learning and network automation. That's already been prevalent and kind of moving forward in cybersecurity and that eventually we'll just be able to ask, you know, the, the system to, address the network or make changes for you and that kind of thing. And you're saying, cool, but maybe just ask it for uh, uh, analysis and context and also understand that that might be, they might, it might be a tick or two off uh, uh, when providing that context. Don't ask it to just uh, 
you know, unfettered, go and change things in the network and, you know, and that sort of thing. And hundred percent. And this emanates in part from a fundamental misunderstanding of large language models, which is, and I'll, I'll, I'll tap out on, uh, on uh, AI theory uh, pretty soon, but it's the idea that these models don't understand. These models are able to reproduce content based on tremendous amount of training. So it's really difficult to get it to, to get it to, it's a subtle nuance. It's a nuance between, hey, you're you're giving me context that answer my question, versus you understand my question and the ideas and the right. concepts behind it, so, so you're able to answer my question. We are not there in the in the uh, in the general artificial intelligence, the general AGI, like artificial general intelligence. I forget what the acronym stands for. Yeah, I know. So what you mean. The, 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 we have to tread carefully. But um, but yes, you're you're, you're absolutely right. It's, uh, it's yeah, it's kind of an exciting time. I mean, you know, it, it is exciting to to make that part of the interface that people use to sort of, like you said, uh, you know, take a shot, a quick a quick look at data interpretation. You know, uh, uh, hey, there's all these flashing lights, blinking lights. There's all these exceptions in the network. What's going on here? You know, or yep. or or what 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 does this typically signify? That sort of thing to help people um, kind of narrow down the universe of answers to two or three things versus, you know, them having to crack a manual and look up every little uh, uh, blinking light and that sort of thing. I know my and, analogies and, and are getting thin absolutely. at this point. <laughs> and, and, and this is the thing that's really fascinating, just to bring by, bring it back to Sassy for a second. One of the things that I've, I have found very interesting is that you can, depending on how you do your machine learning, you can achieve similar levels of explanation without a large language model. Some of the digital experience management uh, experiences that I've seen in terms of helping uh, on SASE, helping troubleshoot why somebody is unable to connect to something. That is very, very good at helping you pinpoint, hey, I this is not working because of the security policy, or this is not working because of this a filter on a particular router or whatnot. That's done without a large language model. What large language models do is give us a, a, a much broader uh, universe of topics to talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah that's, that's really interesting. Um, and I was also looking at you and, and some of your colleagues had um, kind of a preview article, which you know we'll link to in the show notes. Um, and you mentioned uh, mean time to detection and mean time to response and improving those. Is AI something that can help improve that? Or are, are there other um, uh, technologies that, um, you know, can uh, kind of help the SOC team uh, move things along, I suppose? <laughs> Phenomenal question, and it ties to something I wanted to mention as well, besides SASE and, and, and cloud and AI. So my colleagues in our security operations uh, intelligence service, so Eric Parizzo, Andrew Brownberg, uh, Alvia Finau, they've been observing this as well, and, and they are still, I'll, I'll defer to them for the, for the more in-depth content, but they basically talk about two things that they saw at, at, at RSA. One of them is this rise in uh, uh, proactive visibility. Don't hold me to the term, but it's basically, uh, Andrew uh, is the one to talk to about this. 
but it's basically the idea that we are bringing together all of these different technologies and all these different telemetry sources and all these different disciplines to help reduce mean time to detection, mean time to response. The other one, and this is an observation that uh, Eric made, is that we, from from the show floor, we have definitely reached the age of the, what he refers to as the next generation sim, right? Uh, where we have the, there is numerous vendors approaching the the, the, the sim problem with uh, with different technologies and perspectives, like not just the traditional vendors we are we are we we've used in the SOC for a long time. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, and I imagine it's, um, you know, those things have, have long been uh, an issue <laughs> for people in the sockets is like improving it by just, I don't know, like millisecond, like how much, I and, guess, and, like how, how much faster are they even trying to get? <laughs> and, and sometimes it's super interesting to observe that where it, 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 it's, it's a concept to borrow from uh, um, from DevOps, right? It's a value stream mapping. Like, I mean, where do you, you, you have to analyze the entire workflow to analyze where are you wasting time, right? Mm -hmm. And then, okay, I, I believe that was a gold graph, theory of constraints, right? If you don't fix the, con if you don't, there, there's, there's always a constraint in the process. If you don't fix, if you don't identify and fix what the constraint is, you're not making any effect. If you fix it before, you're just making the constraint worse. If you fix it after, you're not getting any more output because the constraint is still the constraint. So within the context of uh, of SOC, we have different types of constraints, but it's but helping analysts get to that context faster mm. is absolutely one of these things. And it's fascinating to see how these tools are coming together in terms of, of providing context around, hey, we've seen this alert. Here's the device. We know what this device is involved in. Here's the user account. We know what that user account has done, and so on. So, in some cases, uh, we've we've been using uh, XDR, extended detection and response, as a, and and traditional sim architecture as one of the ways to address this problem. But now we start to see other sources of telemetry, whether it's asset inventory data, whether it's uh, uh, security vulnerability data. Andrew does phenomenal work on risk-based vulnerability management, for example. Talk to him about that. And whether you are helping to uh, consolidate information from breach and attack simulation, or whether you're bringing in um, identity threat detection and response data, hey, this user account may have been compromised. So all of this is coming together in the SOC. It's really interesting. Sorry, again, I can talk about this for days on end. <laughs> Yeah, we have to let our, uh, our our listeners off the hook at some point. Um, uh, is there is there a, a kind of a final uh, takeaway or something you want to point uh, listeners to to check out? Uh, you know, sort of uh, either either something you've uh, recently published or you're working on that'll come up soon, especially if they're Omdia clients. Because I'm because sure, I'll of course. Uh, so I thank you for the opportunity. Uh, we have um, we are working uh, on our RSA report as a team effort. Right, so it's being it's being put together right now, and it should be published hopefully later this week, if not very early next week. And it go it's going to aggregate the 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 insights of every Omnia analyst that was there. 
One of the reasons it's taking a little bit longer is because our friends in the UK have a have a well deserved uh, holiday today. Bank holidays, yeah. Yeah. So uh, um, we are we are looking to, but we are aggregating this. I believe Adam. So Adam Strange leads our data security coverage, and Adam is going to be the one. Uh, he's the one spearheading the the, the effort. But we are all myself, Ketki, and uh, Andrew, Eric, all the analysts were there. We are all contributing a little bit to it, so uh, be on the lookout for that. It should be out uh, later in uh, later in the the week, right after RSA. Right. Sounds great. Okay, we'll we'll uh, we'll point people to that, uh, and uh, and we'll update the show notes accordingly. And uh, Fernando, thanks so much uh, for for being uh, part of the podcast. And folks, if you're listening to this for uh, uh, for the first time, you can always go to our show notes and uh, anything else about the podcast and find that on lightreading.com. And uh, of course, you can, uh, uh, if you're hearing this on lightreading.com, you can subscribe and get this on your phone on just about any podcast player on earth, uh, Spotify, Apple, all the, all the big ones. Uh, so we encourage you to do so. And thanks again for listening uh, to the Light Reading Podcast. Uh-huh.